everybody, and welcome back to the Mediterranean for Kids podcast. I am your host, Claudia. I love to share tips and tricks for introducing a Mediterranean palate to your little one for an overall healthier generation. Usually, I love to share with you guys recipes, authentic recipes for introducing a Mediterranean palate to our children, to our babies, toddlers, teens, and have them grow up introducing and loving that taste instead of being covered up with the sugars and the fats and all that that are normal in our everyday busy Western lives. Today, though, I am really pleased to have with us Professor Dr. Eric Decker. Eric Decker is a professor and head of the Department of Food Science at the University of Massachusetts in Amherst. Dr. Decker, Dr. Decker, excuse me, is actively conducting research to characterize mechanisms of lipid oxidation, antioxidant protection of foods, and the health implication of bioactive lipids. Dr. Decker has over 400 publications, and he is listed as one of the most highly cited scientists in agriculture. Dr. Decker has served on numerous committees for institutions such as the FDA, the National Academy of Science, Institute of Food Technologist, USDA, and the American Heart Association. He has received numerous recognition for his research from the American Oil Chemist Society, Agriculture and Food Chemistry Division of ACS, International Life Science Institute, and the Institute of Food Technologists. Welcome, Dr. Decker. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thanks very much for including me. What a resume. I have to say, that is pretty impressive. So Dr. Decker and I met the other week at the Mediterranean Diet Roundtable discussion in Washington, D.C. Dr. Decker was able to give an amazing, really interesting, thought-provoking, science-backed discussion, led a discussion about food and processed foods and the direction in which he sees and his research is growing. So I thought he would be a very interesting person to bring on the podcast for our listeners to hear about. So Dr. Decker, can you share with us a bit about some of the research you're doing these days? Yeah, we do research on mostly in the areas of fats and oils. So one of the areas that we look at a lot is to try to prevent those fats and oils from spoiling. So um, oils will go rancid over time, and those rancid oils have some uh, potential toxic effects on, on people. So we try to develop antioxidants and processing techniques and packaging techniques to stabilize those oils. So most, you know, things like olive oil are, are very, very stable, but the vegetable oils are not so stable. So one piece of advice I always give people is to, Smell your oil, and if it smells, it's rancid. Yep, absolutely. Uh, I, I, I'm more familiar in the world of the olive oils, and I definitely say the same thing and, and definitely taste, smell, and look at your, your olive oils before you consume them. So just out of curiosity, is there a specific oil that, I guess, there's a couple questions I'm thinking. Are, is there a specific oil that gets more rancid more quickly, and what is approximately the shelf life of you know, a canola oil or a vegetable oil in your cupboard? So, <clears throat> excuse me. So personally, I keep all my vegetable oil in the refrigerator. Ah. Uh, you can't do that with uh, 
with olive oil because right. it will get solid in, in the refrigerator. That's right. But most of the other oils, all the vegetable oils, will stay liquid in the refrigerator. So so that's the first thing. If you keep it in the refrigerator, it will keep for a very long time. If you keep it in the shelf, you, know, you potentially, um, it will go bad before you get a chance to use it up. So soybean oil is in safflower oil. Those are the most unsaturated oils, and they're typically the most susceptible to rancidity. Okay, so uh, canola oil. Canola oil has a lot of monounsaturated, like olive oil does, and it will keep for a longer period of time. Now, I know some of the higher quality olive oils are typically in glass containers instead of plastic, and they usually have a darker plastic associated, you know, with it. It's either dark plastic, dark glass, preferably. And that's how I know. And I keep them, of course, in a, a dry, cool location in my home. With some of these other, you know, the, the sunflower, safflower, canola oils, should we transfer them from the clear plastic bottles that they come in? Do you ever transfer them or you just shove them straight in the fridge? I just put them straight in the fridge. Okay. But light, light is a problem. Yeah. So, so you should try not to keep any oil in a place where it's going to be exposed to light. So put it in a cabinet or, yes. you know, and that's why the dark bottles are used very commonly because that'll also help. Uh, but even those dark bottles, it's better to keep them out of the light than in the light. Good to know. Okay. So it keeps a long time in the fridge. So you don't really think about it. You just throw it in the back of the fridge six months, a year. But if it starts smelling or changing color of any way, you get rid of them. Yep. Good. And I think the other the other advice I would give is don't buy the huge containers. Oh. Especially when you go to the the Costco's of the world right. and they have the gallon containers of oil. I agree. It's very unlikely you will use that oil before uh, it goes bad. Absolutely. So the smaller the bottle, the better. Good. Good. I'm absolutely of the same. So, you know, I used to live in the Mediterranean. I've lived there for about a decade in Cyprus, where my husband's from. And there's a rule of thumb. So we have to pick our own olives and to press them in the fall for the harvest. And then that pressing will last us as our family for the full year. If by the following year... You're, you're now getting the new harvest of olives and you've got to press them. That olive oil, you've got to consume last year's olive oil. You either toss or you consume very quickly by then start baking. We bake. We don't bake with like a canola oil or butter. We still bake with vast amounts of the, the, the last year's olive oil just to kind of get rid of. So, yeah. And we keep them, of course, cool containers or cool locations, dark glass away from the sun. So good to know. No Costco-sized large containers of pretty much any of the oils. Okay, so let me so ask. You, you can even, well, just one last thing. Yeah. You can even freeze your oil, and it'll keep almost forever in the freezer. I so never So if you have a situation like you're talking about, and you all of a sudden have a lot of oil, divide it up into smaller containers and freeze them. Oh, wow. And take them out when you need them. I am going to share that with my family back on the island and see what they say. I'm going to have them try to do that for next year's. Um, oh, actually, yeah, the fall is coming up. So in a few more months, I'm, I'm going to send an email yeah. back to everybody. That's good advice. That's really good advice. Thanks. Uh, even So I do this sometimes because I have a friend that gives me a lot of olive oil, and I put the olive oil in the freezer. And if I run out all of a sudden that I only have the olive oil in the freezer, if you just take the bottle and run it under tap water, 
it'll actually thaw out pretty fast or just put it in some some slightly warm water it'll it'll turn to liquid very fast that is so interesting. Honestly, that is really interesting. All right, now I've got to ask you, and you might not know about this, and I, I'm kind of curious. Do you ever go and get those olive oils that are flavored with truffle or mushroom or what basil or whatever from those specialty shops? Um, I have used truffle oil in the past, but truffle oil, the flavor of truffle is very it's it's not very stable, mm-hmm. and it doesn't break down into anything bad. But you just lose the flavor. You do lose the flavor. So you, yeah, and especially like the truffle salt, they'll, they'll just lose their flavor in a month or so. Wow. And once you open them, so again, like the truffle oil I have is um, I keep it in the freezer because okay. uh, I don't use it very often. So that that allows you to keep it for a longer period of time. Really good to, good advice. I had no idea. All right. So what is the difference? What's a lipid and then the difference between the lipid and the bioactive lipids that you are talking about in your research? So the scientific definition of a lipid is anything that's soluble in an organic solvent. And organic solvents aren't something we typically have at home. But they're, they're solvents like hexanes and ethers and different hydrocarbons. So it's, the other way to look at it is it's the molecules that are not soluble in water. So any fat that you mix with water, like if you make a salad dressing recipe, you'll see the two of them separate from each other. The oil is lighter than the water, so it tends to float to the top. Mm-hmm. Uh, bioactive lipids are usually minor lipid components. So, that, so the most of the lipid and fat we eat are what's called triglycerides. Of course. Okay. And that's about about ninety per ninety five to ninety eight percent of what we eat is triglycerides. But in all oils, there's these minor components, and many of those minor components have health benefits. Uh, and so we do a lot of work, and it, and it could be anything from uh, things like the carotenoids. So the carotenoids are the orange and red colors that that are in our foods, mm-hmm. like lycopene and tomatoes and then and watermelon and red peppers so it could be those and it could also be a whole series of different what we would call antioxidant compounds Mm -hmm. and those are found in almost all fruits and vegetables uh, some of which are are lipids and some which are water soluble okay now, there are a lot of words that you mentioned right now that I kind of wanted to break into a little bit more. So you've got the, the, bioactive, the bioactive lipids, and then we, you talked about the antioxidants and the relationship, I guess, between, between them and how and a lot of the antioxidants are in our fruits and vegetables, right? So what is yep. the connection then between the bioactive lipids and, say, inflammation that a lot of people suffer from in their stomachs? Yeah, so um, a lot of times when you get inflammation, you get tissue damage in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, these bioactive compounds, especially a lot of the antioxidant compounds, are um, will will inhibit that inflammation process and will and will decrease the effects of inflammation. So probably one of the hottest lipids right now is curcumin, which yes. you find in turmeric. Yeah. Uh, also in a lot of mustard, yeah. they use it as a color in mustard. And uh, that's a fat, it's a lipid, it, it doesn't dissolve in water. Um, 
but it's got a lot of um, health benefits and bioactivity. Uh, one thing to remember about these kind of molecules is that to digest them and to absorb them in your body, you actually have to consume them with fat. So because they're fat-soluble, the way they get in is that they get carried in with the fat. So so one thing, like if you – so that's why it's really not harmful to put some fat on your vegetables. Absolutely. Because the fat on your vegetables is going to help you get more of the nutrients out of the vegetables. Absolutely. Like when we put veg- – when we cook in the med, we typically take, say, green beans. We don't just – you know, we'll, we'll eat them, of course. We'll have salads and we have our olive oil on top of it. But we are, if we're cooking some green beans, we'll crush a f- fresh tomato over top of some green beans, add just a little bit of water, and let it cook down for about 15, 20 minutes. Just allow, allow it to wilt. And then once it's cooked, that's when we douse it with a decent amount of olive oil. It not only helps with the flavor, because we tend to like the taste of olive oil, but of course, now I'm understanding that it helps to allow us to absorb the 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 antioxidant effect of those green beans. Is that about right? That's correct. Okay. And the other thing that helps you absorb is black pepper. Oh. So the compound there's a compound in black pepper called pepperine. Yeah. And it will help your body retain those nutrients better. Oh, that's so the combination great. of the olive oil and the black pepper is even better. That is great advice. That is how that's kind of how we cook, but I love that. Um, I'm curious about your comment about the turmeric, which I know is supposedly to help with the inflammation in your stomach and, of course, the breakdown of of those tissues like you mentioned. How do you add turmeric? So I guess it's the same thing. Get your vegetables, add some olive oil, add some turmeric and black pepper. Is that about right? Yep. Good to know. So how about those turmeric lattes that you see? I don't know if you've seen them, but I've seen them all over like Facebook and YouTube and all that. What are they? I'm sorry. Have you heard of the turmeric latte? Like you're supposed to make them at home. Oh, get a teaspoon. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm not a huge, I don't drink cups of milk, but I was just kind of curious. If I mean, there's fat well, and milk, but I don't know if that, yeah. What's your thought about dairy? Yeah, I mean, I think that, that it does make sense because, there's going to be fat from the dairy. Sure. And, and curcumin is really, really hard to absorb. Yeah. So if you don't if you don't have some fat, you're not going to get any of it. So if people are taking a supplement That's of curcumin yep. first thing in the morning with no food, it's probably going to go right through you. Got it. So you really need to mix it with some kind of fat source yeah. if you're going to absorb any of it. So olive oil or maybe some avocados, throw some curcumin or some turmeric on it, and that might be a way to get that to absorb into your your system. Yep. Yep. Cool. All right. So the term, what the antioxidants, free radicals, all of that, can you kind of break that down for us as listeners? Yeah, so a free radical is a it's just it's a very depending on the type of free radicals is that it can cause damage to things like your proteins in your body and it can also cause lipids to oxidize so that's how fats uh, go rancid is through a free radical process so the free radical then co-oxidizes other things in your body and then that's what causes the damage 
And then an antioxidant, what it does is it can it can scavenge that. It can go in and capture that free radical. But an antioxidant, when it does that, the antioxidant itself becomes a free radical. Oh. But that radical has a very low energy and is not as dangerous as the lipid radical. Dangerous how so? So, so really, the ability of a free radical to attack, say, a protein or an enzyme in your body is related to how much energy it has. So the higher the level of energy it has, the more readily it reacts with the protein. But an antioxidant, when it takes it, the antioxidant reacts with that high energy radical, and the radical transfers over to the antioxidant, but the antioxidant has the ability then to lower the energy of that radical so it doesn't, it can't. Um, interact with the protein. Um, okay, so for for us as consumers, how much, like in what form is the best antioxidants that you can think of, and what is the amount, the consumption required for that energy level to to fix some of the damage that's been caused? Well, the most of the... So I think there's two strategies you can take. So the most common uh, antioxidant in our diet is is vitamin E. Um, mm-hmm. vi- and vitamin E uh, will be retained in your body. So if you take vitamin E, you'll always have some vitamin E in your body, and it can be there to protect. Vitamin C is the other uh, most the other common antioxidant. Uh, but vitamin C, your body will become saturated, and mm-hmm. then you'll just excrete any any other vitamin C that you consume. So those are the two most common ones and the ones that are most likely to be retained in your body. The rest of them, all the ones, you know, one of the reasons you want to eat fruits and vegetables is because they're high in these kind of compounds. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but those compounds, most of those compounds and like the, the antioxidants in tea, those aren't retained by your body. So, that's why it's important to consume these things on a regular basis Got it. And, and, you know, and just continuously. That's why you want to eat as many fruits and vegetables as you can every yep. day yep. because then you're constantly ingesting these antioxidant compounds and that will give you more protection. So, yeah, I mean, of course, that food pyramid where you're supposed to have, I don't know, up to three to five servings of fruits and vegetables a day is just mind-boggling for me because that's obviously far too low. Um, I noticed when I, one of the just off-the-cuff things that I noticed is whenever I travel overseas, it's, we're consuming fruits and vegetables. That's our first form of food that we eat in our day. It's not the grains. It's not, it's not the meats. It's our fruits and vegetables. And basically you go to a farmer's market for the week or whatever you're growing in your garden and you just have to consume it because the, the food's going to go bad, badly so quickly. So I would say it was closer to 10, 11 servings of fruits and vegetables we would consume daily. And that, that is something that I, I would love to see happen here in the States again. Because I'm sure that's probably how we used to eat food before everything became overly processed. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, uh, unfortunately, in the U.S., we only, people here only eat about three servings of fruits and vegetables a day. Right. I think it is one of our biggest challenges because that, that number hasn't changed in 20 years. Uh, we just 
aren't consuming more fruits and vegetables. So I think it's important to really be creative about how to get more fruits and vegetables in your diet every day. And do you think our food manufacturers are are picking up on that? Are they trying to move in that direction? What do you see in the direction of, of because let's be honest, we are busy people. We've got families, we've got children, we've got maybe older generation that we're caring for. That's a lot of times our listeners here on the Mediterranean for Kids podcast. We have many of us work outside of the home and inside of the home. So cooking as much as I would love to see back the art of cooking kind of uh, back in the kitchen for many of us so we can, you know, pass on that skill to our kids. Sometimes it is easier just to pick up something that's ready made. So are the food manufacturers recognizing that we need to get back up to seven plus fruits and vegetable servings per day? And if so, how are they helping? So I think, um, I think one that's, that you're going to you see in the grocery store more and more is dried fruit mm-hmm. and uh, dried fruit is uh, really has almost all the same nutrients as it would in the fresh fruit. You know, it would lose some vitamins, but most all the antioxidants would be captured in there. So just incorporating dried fruit mm-hmm. into different meals, I think would be a good strategy to get more fruit. Mm-hmm. Uh, vegetables, I think are a lot more of a challenge. Mm-hmm. Uh, frozen vegetables are an excellent choice. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're just as, they're just as nutritious as a fresh vegetable. Uh, and I think there's a lot of new products in the frozen vegetable area. And those are something that you can, you know, now you have the steam packages and things like that, that you can put them in the microwave and have a vegetable ready in just a few minutes. Right. Uh, so so I think frozen is a great place to look for vegetables. Uh, there are some new processing technologies um, that help vegetables last longer. Because like you said, even when you go to the grocery store to buy your vegetables, one of the challenges is to eat them all before they go bad. Mm-hmm. And uh, bagged lettuce has you know, been a, a, a really good way to, to, to help preserve the lettuce. So the, the packaging material itself is what helps keep the lettuce fresh for a longer period of time. There's no additives or anything added to the lettuce. It's just the way the package uh, traps the gases inside. The, inside. Um, and then there's some new processing that is used for things like uh, avocados. Uh, as you, probably most people have seen, the, the guacamole that you can now get mm-hmm. is uh, processed by a technique called high-pressure processing. And the, that technique doesn't use any heat, so it doesn't cause the flavor to change in the avocado. Uh, and can, you, you can find some really high flex. Um, so you mean like a, in a, some ways. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was saying like a, like a guacamole, like something that's already processed or the actual avocado. They, sometimes you'll be able to find the actual avocado, but I think more, more popular is the guacamole. Right. And, you know, an avocado is always challenging because you get it and you got like two days to eat it once it gets ripe. Right. I've I've got an avocado at home right now that I think I've had for over a week and it still isn't ripe. And then all of a sudden it's going to be ripe one day and we have to eat it that day. I know. (laughs) I know. Something like those guacamoles you can keep and those will even freeze and you can keep them for you can keep them for weeks and top months. 
uh, and have those available. And back to our discussion about vitamins and antioxidants, is there any difference between that, that you're aware of between a whole avocado with the vitamin E content, and I'm not sure, forgive me, I know it's probably got high lipids just because it is a fatty uh, fruit, but between a whole avocado, a, a, like a ready-made guacamole, and then freezing that ready-made guacamole when it comes into ingesting with the antioxidants that we were talking about earlier in the show. So and when, you, when you go from the avocado to guacamole, you're obviously adding other food components, right? right. Like lemon right. juice and flavors and stuff. So you're not going to have as much avocado in that guacamole mix. So it's not going to be quite the same. But in terms of the process that they use to preserve it, there's not going to really be any difference between the guacamole you make at home from fresh avocados compared to the guacamole that's in those processed packages. That wow. uh, and then and then and then freezing doesn't really do anything. Freezing doesn't have any effect on the nutritional content. Does it have it turn so green? Way to, like, does it turn brownish colored when you when you freeze it and then thaw it back out? I've never frozen frozen a guac or an avocado. So I'm kind of curious. Does it turn brownish? So you need oxygen yeah. for it to turn brown. Um. And in the package guacamole, there's no oxygen. There's very little oxygen in there. So it won't turn brown. Once you open it, it will turn brown um, over time. It's caused by the same enzyme that causes browning in almost all of our fruits. So the same enzyme that makes Bananas brown also makes avocados brown. Wow. Uh, so, so if you open it, it turns brown. But there's actually some products that are like a single serving squeeze pack guacamole that you can buy as well. Um, it's a lot more packaging, not as sustainable, but they you can keep them for a long time and just use a small amount at a time because the other ones, once you open that bigger container, you pr- almost have to eat it within the day or two days. Very good. Very cool. All right. So I've, I've heard today that, you know, it's really important to try to get as many fruits and vegetables in our bodies as possible because we do need to replenish it on an almost daily basis in our bodies for the antioxidant levels. Are there any fruit, um, are there any vitamins that you take personally that you would recommend for our listeners to take in the supplement form outside of, of course, the fruits and vegetables, like you mentioned vitamins E and C. Are are those any that you would take, you know, in a supplement form in addition to food consumption? So, so I don't take – the only supplement I take is I occasionally take an omega-3 supplement. Mm-hmm. So almost all the nutrients I try to get from my diet. Um, it's, you know, the only really – the healthiest omega-3s you get are from fish. Yes. And the recommendation is two to three servings of fish a week. Right. And that can be pretty challenging to get that. So sometimes if I'm not eating much fish for a period of time, then I would take an omega-3 supplement. Okay. And the one I take is is from, is actually from algae. Oh. And uh, it's, it's a higher quality oil. Some of the fish oil supplements, the quality of the oil isn't very good. It's that same test, the same smell test. If your if your omega three supplements smell, then they've gone rancid. Got it. But with the 
with the algae supplements, they can have much stricter control over the fat during all the isolation and the encapsulation. And so they tend to be much higher quality oil. I thought the um, algae omega-3, and I'm really not, I, I, try, I don't take an omega-3 supplement. I do enjoy the taste of fish and I do like to cook. So I'm kind of lucky that way, but I have, I'm going to ask you a couple questions about fish in just a second, but I got to say what I had heard and I'm, I was kind of surprised to hear that you said you take the algae form of omega-3. I heard that the omega-3 from the algae has less omega-3 than from the fish. Is that true? Like the quantity? So algae itself, it's like seaweed, is, mm-hmm. is very low in fat and doesn't have much omega-3 in it. Mm-hmm. But this is an algae that they actually grow from fermentation. And that the oil that comes from that algae is higher than fish oil. It's in the 35% omega-3s compared fish oils are typically 30 to 35 even lower sometimes. Oh, all right. So that's what we're looking for. On our bottles, if it says 30 to 35% from, all right, help me term, like help me to look for it in the groceries. So what what am I looking for? So you're looking for EPA and DHA. Yep. Those are the those are the two most bioactive omega 3s And you do need to be careful because you'll people will um, talk about omega 3s and they'll talk about one called ALA which is alpha-linolenic acid, and it's not as bioactive. Okay. EPA and DHA. Got it. Yep. Any supplements for the kids? Any of those same supplements? Uh, You know, so for us, we gave our kids fluoride because we don't have fluorinated water. Right. Uh, But other than that, we didn't really give them any multivitamins or anything. Okay. Okay. but you know, I I like to cook too. So, yeah, you know, having having healthy meals and sitting yeah. down as a family was a big part of our life. Absolutely, and something fortunately our kids have continued as both my boys um, are very active cooks. Uh, my son actually said, our younger son said to my said to my wife at one point, he said, "I'm so glad I'm a boy because I'll get to cook for my family." Oh. <laughs> I love that. Oh, well done, Dr. Decker. Well done. You did you did good. I'm so happy to hear that. Uh, yeah, we need we need more parents. I honestly believe we need more parents. It's a skill and it's one of those skills just like reading, writing and math and all of that. We need to pass this on to our kids because we're going to need to eat for the rest of our lives, right? Like we're all going to be eating on a daily basis. So let's give people the tools to to eat well and to pass it on to their generation. So I'm with you. I love that. Um, I got to ask you a quick question about fish. Do you do you have? I'm I'm kind of sick of the salmon. Like I get I, I like my salmon. I have a great recipe or two for my salmon, but I'm getting kind of bored of it. Do you do you only get fresh fish? Do you supplement it with any canned stuff or frozen? How about that? So we have a great fish store here. We're really lucky. Yeah. We have a great inexpensive fish store yeah. here. So mostly we eat mostly we eat uh, fresh fish. But what's great, one of the great things about this store is that he'll vacuum package fish for me. So if I go in, I'll get uh, I'll get some fish for that week for you know the, that day or the next day, and then I'll get three or four um, 
vacuum packed and I'll freeze those myself. Oh. And I still try to eat those within a couple of weeks. Got it. Um, because when you, you know, fish, especially the healthiest fish is the fatty fish. And yes, the fatty sir. fish tend to, tend to go rancid faster than the other fish. Absolutely. Uh, we don't eat a lot of canned um, seafood. I, we used to eat a, a decent amount of canned clams mm-hmm. uh, and some tuna. Yep. But but we don't eat a whole lot of canned. And that, but that is something that's kind of a revival. There's a lot more canned seafood options out there now. Yeah. And they're higher so quality than they used to be, supposedly. Yeah, yeah. And, and and the canning doesn't, like, at least for the omega-3s, the canning has very little effect on the omega-3s. Good. So, so they're, you know, if you buy canned salmon, sardines, anchovies, mm-hmm. any of those things, right. they'll, they'll have just as many omega-3s as the fresh counterpart. Good to know. That is great to know. All right. So for those of us who do not have a great fishmonger uh, next door, and can't get your fish on a daily, weekly basis, then that is a really good option. I'm I'm with you, and even in the med, we would we did have great fish everywhere. But you know, if we needed in the wintertime, we would pick up our canned anchovies, herring. I have to say, was also another one. Mackerel was another one that we did reach for when we needed to, and of course, some of the Spanish tuna as well. And, and we would use it when we needed to if we wanted to make a quick meal to add to our salads. That was a quick option for us as well. And that is something that people turn their nose up to, but I just think that they haven't gotten used to a good quality one. And of course, introducing the t- taste of fish at a younger age for our kids, and then ke- keep on reintroducing it. That's my my whole point. Let's continue to reintroduce it until, boy, they're just sick of it, and they're just going to start eating it because they're hungry. I agree. We did the same thing with our family, and our kids eat fish all the time. That's now. awesome. That's awesome. As I said, I think you're doing a great job. Not only have you done a wonderful job with your, your kids, it sounds like, but what you're doing for research here at the University of Massachusetts in Amherst and across the U.S. Well, with all of the research and publications you're working on. And I genuinely, from the bottom of my heart, thank you for everything you've done, not only for this show, but for making America, doing your part and making this country healthier again. So I do appreciate that. So it's my pleasure, and thanks very much for having me on the show. Absolutely. And if you want to, if you want to, follow along with Dr. Decker. Do you have any way for any of my uh, listeners to to follow along with any of the research that you're working on, either through the University of Massachusetts website, or is there any way for you guys to do that? So uh, you can look at the department. We have uh, people doing all kinds of food research here. And so if you go to the UMass Food Science website, you'll see a lot of information about the kind of research we do, and and uh, there's and that's regularly updated. So, okay, uh, that would be the best source uh, to look for more information. And we're quite unique in the food science world, is that we really have a lot of focus on uh, health and wellness of food. Mm-hmm. And so, so you'll see a lot of people doing work on the microbiome or on fruits and vegetables or things like that. So, that's awesome. I will have a link to the university department's. 
uh, UMass's department's website up on my food show later on when I get this show up and out. So I'll, I'll be, put a link out there for all of you listeners who are interested in staying connected. And oh, one last question. I understand that you, UMass Amherst has got one of the best cafeteria systems in the country, like ranked. You guys have great food on campus. Is that kind of because of your department? You want to take a little bit of credit there? Yeah, I can't take too much credit okay. for that, but Ken Toon, who runs that system, and I always brag that we're both number one in the country. That's so, awesome. I agree. So it, it's it's, it's an absolutely terrific way for young people to be introduced to a lot of new foods. Uh, if you're ever in the area, anybody can go. I think it's $11 for all you can eat, uh, and it's really a, a very unique experience and not what people think about when they think in the past what their university food was like. so That's awesome. That's great that you're introducing that to the kids at a younger age, or the students, I should say, not kids. All right. Thank you, Dr. Decker, again for being on the show. This is Claudia at the Mediterranean for Kids podcast. We love to hear from you. So please drop me an email, drop me a note at the show notes at the bottom. You are welcome to let me know if you want a special recipe, authentic recipe from the Mediterranean cuisine that I could provide for you and your family. I love sharing those tips and tricks. I love bringing nutritionists and food experts onto the show to share them with you. So let me know how I can make this show better for your listening experience. All right, guys, I got a roll. This is Claudia on the Mediterranean for Kids podcast. Have a wonderful day. Take care. Bye, guys. Mm-hmm.